The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. You know, during my last year of seminary, my wife Jacqueline and I uh, were hanging out at our apartment. She was talking on the phone with a friend when all of a sudden she realized that she couldn't read. She called me over and and she began to explain to me what was going on, that she was having a hard time reading. And as she was trying to tell me what was happening, all of a sudden, her speech began to go as well. I began to get a little nervous. She began to get a little nervous. Words were coming out in this nonsensical fashion, reading and speaking, things she had been doing for a very long time were all of a sudden really hard. I think I need to go to the hospital She managed to get out as I was already grabbing my shoes and my wallet. We hopped into the car. And as I was speeding down the highway, weaving in and out of traffic, I would turn to her and I was asking her questions, trying to keep panic from setting in. What's your sister's name? What's your dad's name? When is your birthday? You know, the answers, they came out really hard and sometimes they didn't come out at all. When we finally got to the hospital, We stood there in the entrance, and her knees began to buckle as panic began to set in. And we got in, and when we first arrived, it was almost like we were completely ignored. If anyone has ever been to the ER in this kind of situation, you know that nothing ever moves fast enough. It's like you want to grab the first person wearing scrubs and yell at them, Somebody do something! Hoping that someone, anyone would save us. How do you respond when life delivers a crisis to your front door? You know, we live in a world that is broken. It is filled with sin. And because of that, we face hardships. We face challenges, sometimes hardships that are so difficult, so deep that they shake us to our very core. And it is in those moments, in the you-need-to-do-something moments, that our source of security and the place where we put our faith is revealed. What do you do when the crisis comes to your door? Today we're going to be looking at Luke, in chapter 7, verses 1 through 10, and we're going to see what God's word has to say about this. So if you would turn with me to Luke 7. This takes place in the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. It's immediately after Jesus had just finished giving a sermon on the mount. It's in Luke 7, and I'm not sure which page it's on, but it's in your bulletin in the Red Bible and the Children's Bible. Those are page numbers are there. Luke 7, starting in verse 1. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. 
and Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I, too, am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come. And he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and said, turning to the crowd that following him, I tell you the truth, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, this morning we need you just as we need you every single day. Lord, we ask that you would teach us from your word, that you would teach us what it means to have faith in you, that you would teach us what it means to trust in you, and that from this place that you would strengthen us to go out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Faith. Trusting that a person or thing is going to produce a desired or hoped-for result. That is the only thing, if we're honest, that allows us to continue on every single day. You know, because we live in this world that is filled with uncertainties and challenges, a world that is broken and difficult, we have to live by faith. Faith that your car will start, that this seat will hold you, that an airplane is not going to come crashing down through your roof. We live by faith every single day. But an indiscriminate faith actually hurts us more than it helps. You see, we have to place our faith in the right thing. We have to turn from a faith in ourselves, and we have to turn to a faith in Christ. In this passage that I just read, there are two characters that are demonstrating faith. But their faith is not placed in the same thing. You see, on the one hand, we have the Jewish elders. Now, these men were likely prominent social leaders within the Jewish community. They were not synagogue leaders, but they had a lot of influence. And on the other hand, we have this centurion. A man who is dealing with a very difficult hardship. His servant was deathly ill. Now in the text it says that his servant was a highly valuable servant, but we might read that in the wrong way. We might think that that means that he was a really useful servant or a highly profitable servant, but you see the Greek that is used here for highly valued is the same word that Peter uses when he describes God the Father's feelings towards his son. That he is precious. You see, in Matthew's parallel account, the servant is referred to as a child or a boy. And from that, we can kind of infer that, you know, although, yeah, he was a servant, this centurion loved him. He was very dear to him. And he was sick. A centurion was a military leader. He was in charge of 100 men. Centurions were well paid, and they were not 
Jewish. And the question we have to ask ourselves as we look at this passage, as we compare the faith of these two characters, is who puts their faith in the right place? Whose faith should we model ourselves after? And what we're going to find is that we have to turn from faith in ourselves. As Jesus was traveling with the crowd in tow, the Jewish elders approached him because this centurion had sent them. He had sent them to persuade Jesus to come and help because his servant was sick. Now, the relationship between the Jews and the centurion was clearly a positive one because the elders didn't only ask Jesus to help, but in verse 4 it says that they earnestly pleaded with him. It says that they said, he is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. The Jewish elders tell Jesus that this man, this centurion, this non-Jew, deserves your attention because he cares for the Jews. To the extent that he had used his own wealth to pay for their place of worship, to pay for the synagogue. Well, after hearing the situation, Jesus decides to go with them. And he travels along with them to go help this boy. What is the problem then? What is the problem with the faith that these Jewish elders are demonstrating? Because on the surface level, it looks like they're doing exactly the right thing. There is a boy, and he's sick, and we have Jesus. So let's go to Jesus, and let's bring him to this sick boy, because Jesus is the right answer, right? Everybody knows that. But you see, the problem is what is underneath their plea. And we get a glimpse of this by the language that they use, what they are actually placing their faith in. You see, essentially what they are telling Jesus is you have to. You must help this man because he has earned it. Because his actions, buying the synagogue, having a positive relationship with the Jewish people, all of these things have in some way earned him favor with God. Ultimately, what they are doing is placing their faith in themselves, in their own actions. You know, it's, it's easy to miss this underlying thought process because most of the time, often, that's where we place our faith as well. We love to tell ourselves that if we work hard enough, if we gather the right people, if we exercise wisdom, or if we truly commit If we get to the hospital fast enough, then our actions will overcome even the worst of situations. You know, these messages are everywhere, from school to work to recreational hobbies. Our culture loves to hear success stories of people who hunkered down, who fought the good fight, and they made it through the difficulty. But the reality is that faith in ourselves is a faith misplaced. For those of you who know me out there, you know that there's a particular college team that I 
uh, like more than the others. Who, who would that be? Hawkeyes, that's right. So uh, as an aside, find community where people know who you are in your particular things. That is a good thing. That's what church is for. But for those who know that I love the Iowa Hawkeyes, you know that this uh, illustration is difficult for me to say, but I'm going to use it anyways. In 2010, ESPN did a story on Coach Urban Meyer. He is currently the head coach of the Ohio State football team, but at the conclusion of the 2009 season, he had just finished his time at the University of Florida. In the article, ESPN said that Meyer had two national titles and an all-time winning percentage of .842, which was the highest of any active coach. Meyer had accomplished this through a focused, uncompromising work ethic, which he had inherited from his father. And his accomplishments, though great, did not come freely. During the 2009 season alone, Meyer had lost 35 pounds, and in six hours after winning the national title, he collapsed with chest pains. His wife called 911, and the article said, Urban Meyer won 104 games, but lost himself. Casting crowns hit the nail on the head in their song entitled American Dream. It goes like this. It says, all work and no play may have made Jack a dull boy, but all work and no God has left Jack with a lost soul. But he's moving on full steam. He's chasing the American dream, and he's going to give his family the finer things. Not this time, son. I've got no time to waste. Maybe tomorrow I'll have time to play. And then he slips into his new BMW and drives farther and farther away. So he works all day and tries to sleep at night. He says things will get better in time because he works and he builds with his own two hands and he puts all he has in a castle made with sand. But the wind and the rain are coming crashing in. Time will tell just how long his kingdom stands. I am not saying that you shouldn't work hard. You should work hard. But if you are trusting in your own work to navigate the hardships of life, you will come up short. You know, many of us here know that it is wrong to say, oh, I'm placing myself, my faith in myself. Or to make the statement, I am trying to build my kingdom. We know that intellectually. But when the project falls apart, when no one shows up to the ministry that you organized, when your family seems to be on the brink of collapse, do you ever look around and ask yourself the question, am I really good enough? Am I really good enough? Do I really matter? What is your faith built on? Are you trusting in yourself? You know, while, while I was putting this sermon together, I found myself feeling nervous about how it would go. And my wise wife looked at me and she said, well, what are you trusting in? You know, even though it's wrong, 
And even though we know that it's wrong, how often do you completely disregard what the Bible says, what has been revealed to us in the scriptures, and you lower your head and you plow through the Christian life by yourself and for yourself? Instead, we need, we must place our faith in Christ. Well, when Jesus was close to the centurion's house, the centurion sent out men to deliver a message to Jesus. And the centurion in verse 6 says that he is not worthy, not worthy to have Jesus come under his roof. But instead, he asks that Jesus merely say the word and heal his servant from that spot. For I too am a man set under authority, says the centurion in verse 8. And I say to one soldier, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. You see, the centurion recognized that Jesus had authority. But not just any authority. No, Jesus had authority from God. And that meant that Jesus would not be bound by physical distance. If Jesus truly had authority from God, then that authority would extend beyond where he could touch and see. Now, let's take a moment and consider what's going on here. You see, this centurion, this man, here he is at the end of his rope. His valued servant, his precious servant, is on the verge of death. Can you imagine the anguish and the turmoil that he is feeling within him? And here comes this man, Jesus, this healer, this man who has this reputation for healing. He is already on his way. And the other healers that he had heard about, well, they had to be physically present in order to heal. Would it really hurt? Would it really be so bad to just let Jesus keep on coming? But no. The centurion shows his faith, and he shows that it is genuine by his actions. He tells Jesus Jesus not to come under his roof. And when Jesus heard these things, he marvels. And he comments to the crowd that not in all of Israel had he found such faith. So first we see the humility of the centurion because unlike the Jews who declared this man worthy of God's favor, the centurion declares himself unworthy of even Jesus' presence. And secondly, we see the centurion's faith, not in himself, but in Christ's authority. You see, the centurion was trusting that because of Jesus' authority, that he had the ability to provide him with what he had hoped for. And that trust led to action. You know, I I have a hard time trusting in things outside of myself. I still remember when I finally learned how to ride a two-wheel bike. It was my third attempt. It was a difficult lesson for me. My dad had taken the training wheels off for the third time, and he was trying to teach me and Up to that point, I had been unsuccessful because I was afraid that I was going to fall. And my dad encouraged me that I just needed to look ahead and pedal hard and keep going. 
and that if I started to fall, that he would catch me. But I was afraid. I was, I was afraid that he wouldn't. Faith has always been a challenge. But when I finally believed him, when I finally had the faith that if disaster struck, my father would be there, I committed. And I pedaled hard, and I looked straight ahead. And you know what happened? I began to ride the bike. But as soon as I started riding, all of a sudden I felt the bike began to wobble. But as quickly as it started to wobble, it stabilized because my dad had reached out his hand and grabbed the back of the seat. Only by acting upon my faith that my dad actually had the ability, that he had the speed and the strength to catch me, was I able to look ahead, pedal hard, and ride the bike. The centurion in this passage demonstrated faith. Trusting in the ability of Christ's authority to heal his servant. So what happened? Well, let's finish it. Verse 10. It says, And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. The centurion's faith was not misplaced. He had trusted in Jesus Christ. He had trusted in the one whom we know is the creator of all things on heaven and earth, both invisible and visible. We know that Jesus is the one who has ultimate authority over everything on earth and in the heavens. And the centurion had put his place, his faith, in that man. He had placed his faith in the right place. And in the hardships of life, we also need to place our faith in Christ. But there's a problem. You see, knowing right here that Jesus' authority gives him the ability to heal. That Jesus' authority gives him the ability to save us from the hardships of life is not enough. When you are waiting for that phone call to find out whether or not the cancer has returned again. Or when your spouse comes to you and says, that's enough, I'm finished, and leaves. Or when the loss of your job claims not only your pride, but also your home. Faith in Christ is going to seem beyond your reach. You may say the words, but are you just going through the motions? You know, when I was riding my bike, it was not enough for me to know that my dad had the ability to keep up, that he had the speed or the strength to catch me if I happened to fall. I had to know something else. I had to know that he was my father. I had to know how much he loved me. That he loved me. And that he would use all of his ability, all of his strength, all of his speed in order to protect me. Friends, we, you, are sons and daughters of God. He is our Father, and He loves you. 
He loves you. And the centurion caught a glimpse, just a little glimpse of that love by the fact that Jesus chose to come to him and to save his boy. But we, we have seen the full picture of that love. As Christians, we celebrate the gospel. At Jacob's Well here, it's one of our core values. Gospel-centeredness. And many of you know that this word gospel means good news. But what some of you may not know is that this word has non-Christian origins. You see, when Rome would go about and they would conquer a new territory, they would go around and declare the gospel. They would declare the gospel to the newly conquered people. The good news that, guess what? Caesar is now your supreme emperor, your king. Isn't that good news? You know, I imagine that for many, the good news was not that good. What makes a hostile takeover good news? It depends on who you are being taken over by, right? The Christian gospel is that Jesus Christ, the man who has the ability and the authority to heal our brokenness, has come and he has conquered. He has conquered and he is king. You see, the full picture to which the centurion only caught a glimpse is Jesus Christ leaving his place in heaven, becoming a man, and taking our sins upon himself, dying on a cross, and then victoriously rising again as our Savior King. The good news is that our Father, has already saved us from the greatest hardship that we will ever know. And now, we have to turn to him in faith during the troubles of our life. Well, it turns out that when Jacqueline experiences a migraine, just as some people see spots or flashes of light, she suddenly developed stroke-like symptoms. And a few hours after we got to the hospital, her speech returned, and it was replaced with this massive headache. You know, I thank God that this particular crisis only lasted for a few hours. But what happens when it goes on for days, months, even years? What happens when the unimaginable becomes true. We find comfort in a love that has all authority, all power, and will not end. Hardships have come. They may be here right now. And you know what? They will continue to come. And these hardships will strip you down, and they are going to reveal your complete utter need for a love that has conquered all things. What faith? Faith 
in Christ, our Savior King. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have come and that you have defeated the brokenness of this world. That you have come as healer. That you have come as savior. And Lord, that you have come and you have given us faith. That you offer us a faith which we cannot muster on our own, but a faith that is placed in the one and only true savior, and that is yourself. Lord, help us to turn away from our faith in ourselves. Give us the strength to place our faith in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.